there. Welcome to uh, episode four of season two of We've Been Had. Now a uh, song-by-song walk through the songs of St. Vincent. I am Keith Pilly. And I'm Chad Cook. And uh, yeah, we are continuing our way through St. Vincent's second album, Actor. Tonight's songs are Marrow, The Bed, and The Party, all of which I think sound like movie titles. Which yeah. is, is very fitting. I don't know. Would you see a movie called Marrow? <laughs> I feel like that, that has that, a that has a a non zero chance of being like torture porn. Yeah, I think that that's the one that the other two, like maybe you'd see at a regular theater. Marrow you'd see like at the Trilon Micro Cinema if you had heard from a friend, no no, you gotta see it, it's pretty good. You just you just shut your eyes at the one spot. Right. It's it's by this really obscure East German director. <laughs> it's actually interrogation footage before we get into those i did want to slip in a little promo for a uh, a side project i've got going here um, oh, jesus christ i know well i mean i was thinking like we've been doing this show long enough that i think this is the third side project that i've been like hey check this out it's three more than i have and your side project is living <laughs> yeah I have started a newsletter called Art is My Middle Name, uh, where I send out short little essays about art every so often. Like the most recent one was uh, about bad behavior I've heard of in museums, like someone taking a crap in a museum, which is actually a thing I've heard about. Like not in the bathroom? No, like in an exhibit. Like an adult? Probably a teen, but no one knows for sure. See, It's, it's compelling content. Uh, I also talk about more respectable art sometimes. If you listen to this show, you probably have some sense of what you're in for if you sign up. The easiest way to sign up is probably just to Google uh, Pilly, P-I-L-L-E, art is my middle name, and that that would get you to the sign-up page. And uh, yeah, you should do it. It's, I think, pretty fun. I've seen Keith's driver's license, and Arthur is really his middle name. It, It took me until my 45th birthday to realize that fact. I was like, oh, oh shit! I can. Yeah, that's that's a great title. There was like a light bulb over my head when I when I put that together. That done. Any any other business before we? I don't think so. We dig in. No business. All right. I th- I thought you know before we dig into the songs though we should maybe share our anecdote of uh, of Keith and I seeing St. Vincent perform in in Red State, Nebraska. We were in the blue part of the red state, Nebraska. The blue dot. Yeah, the six-block area in Omaha. <laughs> so, I mean, the show, the show was amazing. Um, but I think the more interesting piece happened after the show, at least from my perspective. So the show was at a place called the Holland Center for the Arts, which, I don't know, had you been there before? I hadn't. Really cool venue. Good place to see a show. But uh, we decided, uh, you know, as a group, being adults, that following the show, we wanted to call an Uber to a fine establishment called the Homie Inn in Omaha, Nebraska. They have champagne on tap. Yeah, known for two things. Uh, open 365 days a year until 2 a.m. and champagne on tap. Oh, th- there's, a third, there's a third thing. Yeah. But before we get to thing three... <laughs> Is my memory correct that you had a flight of champagne there? I did have a flight of champagne. What was your favorite favorite uh, flavor? You know, the sweet one. <laughs> <laughs> and that's probably just what it was called. 
I think for a while they were doing like they had like dry yeah. and then uh, regular. I, I think there was like a sweet one, a dry one, a strawberry one, and then something else. All on tap, all champagne. Yeah, and and so uh, we'll get to the Uber part, but Keith, do you want to talk about the the third f- thing of interest in the um, Homie Inn? Well, so, I mean, the Homie Inn is, you know... H-O-M-Y. Yes. I don't know. So it's not clear to me if that's someone's name or what. Yeah, the only bar I know of that has several different flavors of champagne on tap. Only bar I know of that has a sex toy claw machine. Yeah, that was a new one. But, uh, you know, like Omaha After Dark. It's something else. Legit, just a like kid's claw machine filled with dildos. <laughs> Which, like, I mean, I think the general shape of dildos kind of raises the degree of difficulty with a claw machine. It does, but but the weird thing is, like, the, it's kind of a divey bar, right? So it's got the dark lighting, but it's got this backlit claw machine. Yeah, full of but, silicone dicks. Yeah, right? So, I mean, like, to... To reinforce the theme of the show, uh, you know, eventually we're going to get to mass seduction. And I think mass seduction is definitely St. Vincent's horniest album. Maybe the horniest album, you know, in recent circulation. So uh, we have to ask, like, did just like the weird energy of that show make that claw machine come into existence? I don't know. I haven't been back since. I don't know. Uh, I assume it's still there, but what if you went in and people were like, what are you talking about? (laughs) There was never a claw machine. here." Like the shining. Yeah, exactly. Sort of a one-off version of that. (laughs) But yeah. So, I mean, I I just, we just saw this awesome show. We, uh, we call the Uber and, I guess my recollection is that the Uber driver pulls up and he's like straight out of Nebraska Central Casting, right? Like, yep. Like beard. He's got he's kind of gruff looking. I'm sure he had a Husker jacket on. Camo hat. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but I was thinking like this guy's got it going through his mind. has got to be like, you pansies enjoy your performing arts. Yeah. I'm, I was projecting that vibe too onto him. But... <laughs> Incorrectly. Incorrect. So, you know, we get it. We pile into the Uber and, you know, we kind of, we have the typical back and forth banter about, you know, whatever the weather and what are you doing? Yeah. And the the driver kind of casually slips that he and his wife uh, like to go to the, the Christmas show at the Holland Center to see Mannheim Steamroller perform. And if I can cut in for a second here, like... If you're listening and you are from a city with any kind of cultural life, <laughs> then I don't think you can understand the magnitude of Mannheim Steamroller in Omaha. It, it's kind of like Prince is in Minneapolis, except that Prince is actually good. <laughs> it, it's one of those things where it's like, I, I don't know, it's kind of like Miami Sound Machine. Like... <laughs> Like, Mannheim Steamroller is like the Christmas, like the the oh, synth up Christmas, right? Yeah, but they're not just Christmas. They'll, they'll synth you up anytime. I mean, like, you know, true Omaha stories here. One of the first tapes I ever owned was uh, Mannheim Steamroller's Fresh Air 2. And, it, it you know, it's just 90 minutes of synthesis. In, in th- instrumental 
Yeah. I And so, you know, can we just kind of sit in silence and we're all processing this information. <laughs> the guy is just like, oh, yeah. yeah. And then he launches into this story <laughs> about this big chance that he blew. <laughs> and he goes, oh, I blew it. I, I was walking through a park and I saw another guy walking towards me that looked just like Chip Davis. And, and Chip, I'm like, Chip Davis? Oh, what? Well, I'm like, who the hell is Chip Davis? <laughs> yeah, the the mastermind behind Mannheim Steamroller. The, uh, the you know, <laughs> the Annie Clark. <laughs> Chip Davis, colon, Mannheim Steamroller. <laughs> Annie Clark, colon, St. Vincent. <laughs> and... You know, maybe you want to enlighten everybody into how he knew it was actually Chip Davis. I, I got to leave that one to you. So he he was wearing a Mannheim steamroller jacket that had Chip on the front. I mean, like, of course he did. So, like, like a couple takeaways here, right? Like, you never want to judge a book by its cover, but obviously. You, yes. And... I mean, I guess Mannheim Steamroller is essentially like the cool kids club from high school, including letter jackets. Yeah, like, like I guess that is a literal members-only jacket. Like, why would you wear the jacket of what's, the band you're in? What's your thought process? And you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm the head honcho of America's leading, you know, old people synthesizer band. I got to wear my jacket to like trumpet this status. I, I it just the whole thing blew, blew me away. Like I spent a lot of time trying to process it. That was an amazing thing. I think takeaway number three, at least for me, is you know like never underestimate the weirdness that can take place <laughs> on the way at or on the way home from the homey inn. That, I, well, yeah. I mean, I I'm still not convinced that we weren't caught in some kind of <laughs> psychic feedback loop that like increased the weirdness of the homey inn. Yeah, I believe it. Did a bachelor party show up? Yes, of like like really young, you know, like some like early twenties bachelor party where this is the magic of St. Vincent. Yeah, exactly. Just for you know, for eight hours, Omaha was a magical, (laughs) weird place. And I, I think if you like, if you charted the amount of of like mental space I've spent on Mannheim Steamroller. (laughs) Like, there's a significant peak right after that St. Vincent show. The rest is very flat. <laughs> Promise me this weekend, just like to take a window into my past. Promise me you'll go into Spotify or YouTube and pull up Fresh Air, and that's spelled A I R E. Of course it is. Why wouldn't it be? <laughs> Fresh Air, too. And just, you know, give it a listen. I feel like that's going to screw up my algorithm. Good. You got to keep the man off. You know, you don't want to. You don't want the SA, the NSA to know what music you actually like. It's like so. This is a, this is a little bit of an inside into the things that Keith and I think are funny. But I sent him a curated playlist of insane clown posse songs the other day, <laughs> and you know, I just it just occurred to me that now Spotify probably thinks that That's, I like the insane clown posse. This is good though because like this way, if you're ever. Government ever takes you in and tries to put some kind of leverage on you, and they're like, "Yeah, man, we're gonna torture and we're gonna kill your favorite recording artist." You know, maybe if you've got them tricked into thinking that the, that the insane clown posse is who you like, you know, juggle over life. Yeah, I so in that exchange, then I um, 
Yeah. I responded by sending you the link to uh, Smell Yo Dick. And, you know, no response. I thought, like, maybe I just, like, ended the friendship <laughs> with the worst rap song in the world. I, I actually am a little f- afraid to listen to it. <laughs> it's worse than you think it is. It's, uh... I, I don't see much where I'm like, ah, should I really click on this? Like, <laughs> like is the bus Wi-Fi a safe place for me to experience this? <laughs> I don't know. Okay, so this weekend, promise me, you'll listen to Fresh Air 2 and then Smell Yo Dick. A song which I first heard about because somehow I saw a clip of Megan Mullally and Nick Offerman performing like a, a slow acoustic version of it. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's almost more interesting. Is, yeah, that, is like, that available online? Not anymore. It's been... So that was a couple of years ago. It was a copyright, it was a copyright infringement? That I think be- so. So there are like all these web pages saying like, oh my God, you got to see this video. And then there's like a dead YouTube link. I, hey, you got to protect your intellectual property. If that's you, right. If you roll out something that good. <laughs> if smell your dick is your money ticket, your meal ticket, you know. You protect that shit. So, so some poor lawyer somewhere had to file like a, <laughs> yeah. like a cease and desist letter. To- yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, there must have been, you know, I, there are at least five websites where it, it's been taken down. So clearly, like, some firm somewhere has like the smell your dick file. <laughs> they're, like, they're billing it, you know, billing another half hour on smell your dick. It's just got to be like, I went to law school for this. Like, <laughs> man. The music, bi- the music biz. Oh, okay. With that, yeah. Should, should we, we talk talk about some marrow? Let's do it. Okay, back in for marrow. Um, what do you think of the marrow? Well, so the notes I had were like a lot of songs in this album that kind of starts with the fairy tale music. Yeah. Yep. And then I feel like it moves into this like weird nine inch nails style like industrial like transition. I think that's about that that sums it up pretty well. But then it ends as kind of like a dance rocker. Yeah. So I mean I kinda of like that. I I uh I feel like I'm getting uh I'm getting more out of digging through the lyrics than I than I have previously. Like I really like the the end of the first verse where she says, I wish I had a gentle mind and a spine made up of iron. Yeah, that's a good line. She throws down a lot of good good lines on this. I uh I think like that transition you're talking about where, you know, it, it starts out kind of cinematic and then goes has the big kick in. Like I I feel like that's kind of been a thing, like that's been her thing all the way through and she just keeps finding slightly different ways to tweak that of like, you know, her main dynamic is going from quiet and breathy to like loud and weird. And then, um, and that's, you know, I mean, it works. Sometimes it works better than others, but it works pretty well here. Yeah. What's that song on the soft bulletin that has that? Is it the spoonful ways of tongue? Yeah. Yeah. Which I think is like the gold standard for like just drop ins. Yeah. That, I somehow I had never I was like really stupid with the way I came into the Flaming Lips and like I think Yoshimi Battles the Pink Robots was the first album I heard and so like I had heard that and then went to see them uh, when they were opening for Beck and so like I walked into that show not trip 
yeah, it was nuts. Um, and like, you know, I hadn't heard anything from the soft bulletin. So when they played Spoonful Weighs a Ton, you know, like I had no idea that it was going to do that, like quiet, weird. And that, that just fucking blew the top of my head off. Where was that show at? Uh, it was downtown Minneapolis. It was one of the, I don't remember if it was the Orpheum or the State or, you know, it was one of the one of the downtown fancy theaters. Yeah, that'd be a cool place to see them. It was pretty rad. That was, that was slightly better than the State Fair. Although the State Fair was still pretty cool. The State Fair was, although it just poured rain. Yeah. God, I suppose now that I think about it, we have ended up seeing the Flaming Lips at, what, like five different, va- I mean like. You and I personally? Yeah. You yeah. Know, like the, the roller rink in St. Paul. Yeah. And, uh, I think that's the first place uh, that you and Rebecca met Katie. I think that's right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I take a lot of pride in having seen them perform at the Myth. At the Myth, that's the one that I, which yeah. is affectionately referred to as the Meth. <laughs> Lives up to it. It's pretty. It's pretty dingy. Uh, you know, talking like, so I get the impression that the Flaming Lips, at least when they did, you know, when they were at their peak, they were usually working with this producer Dave Friedman, who also produced. Uh, Sleater Kinney's The Woods, which which was my favorite of their albums until they until did the, the one. New with, one. Yeah. yeah. Um, it would be pretty wild to hear Friedman producing a St. Vincent record. Like, I mean, obviously, it's not like she needs, you know, whatever she's got working is working, but I don't know. That would be a, that'd be a, a cool yeah, collabo. Even if she was just, even if he was just collaborating on it, I think that yeah. would be a cool. The cool sound, yeah. But because she does really have that that uh, that kind of flaming lip style, where you bring in a lot of elements. And... Yeah, it's kind of an interesting contrast too. Because so, like, she is musically as weird as they. I guess I, I keep wanting to use the past test tense on them. I know that they're still active, but I've just kind of drifted. But you know, like like their weirdness is always there's like this level of slapdashness to it. Like not in a bad way, just like you can tell they're just figuring shit out as they go sometimes in the studio. And like hers, you know, I don't know, it's weird. She's doing the same weird stuff, but like in this more precise thought about way. And and sometimes that's you know, sometimes that's good and sometimes that's to her detriment. I think like the second two songs we're going to talk about tonight are, to me, a little bit low energy. And I think it's because they're so thought about and, you know, but I mean, we'll, we'll get to those. Yeah. Uh, so I guess I wanted to just get your thoughts on what you think the, so I was trying to kind of unpack this other line and I was just curious what you, what you think this is about. So the end of the second verse, she says, so I pretend there aren't 10 strings tied to all 10 of my fingers. So first of all, glad she has all 10 fingers. I feel like that's a positive. <laughs> that is, yeah. I mean, I, I was going to say you can tell from her guitar playing, but I guess like I can think of several really good nine fingered guitar players. Yeah. I mean, it um, how, you, how do you classify Django Reinhardt? Very nine? good. Are you going nine fingers or? Wasn't he a nine finger guy? I think he's a, Thought a couple of his fingers were messed up. Were they? Oh, I don't know. Okay, fewer than ten is what I know. <laughs> Less than ten. So, I don't know. Do you read that as? 
I, I mean, to me, like that line comes in with some kind of puppeteering metaphor, but I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I, I guess I read it. I mean, that's a that's a really good read. I think that might be might be what she's getting at. But I, I kind of took it to like, you know, it's it, it's like pulling everything's pulling me in ten different directions. So that, like, I think that's pretty apt too. Um, I guess it could be both. Yeah. But if you want to go with the Disney movie, you know, maybe oh, it's you yeah. know, maybe it's a Pinocchio. Pinocchio style. That little shit. <laughs> What what is your current beef with Pinocchio? He's a bad boy. He's made of wood. He's not he's not a boy. Uh, in the end, he's a boy. It's like he it's like you haven't even watched The Good Place. Like not a boy. <laughs> I uh, when I was a kid, I had this like Pinocchio this book that was like the original non Disney Pinocchio, um, and it had like these you know old timey black and white illustrations, and it kind of scared the shit out of me, like. It was really like uncanny valley creepy. So I'm just I'm against Pinocchio is is what I'm saying here. I assume all copies of that have been disappeared by like Walt Disney thugs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. One night some very stern lawyers just showed up at my house, left. I uh so I had a couple of musical notes here where so this is none of the three tonight feel like they're being sung without any they all feel like they're being sung without much passion. You know, like she just seems like she's singing, um, but not, I don't know, it's weird. It's not that she's like stepping back from the words, but just not putting a bunch of like rawr into it. And maybe I'm projecting that, I don't know. But that, to me, like, I know that's a choice and there's. I'm sure there were reasons, but that feels like a weird choice to me. I think at least on this one, I think she's trying to like do some juxtaposition on the, the lyrics of help me, help me yeah. in like a dispassioned voice. That makes sense. I think you're right. I do think I am amazed that the the way she comes up with rhyming H-E-L-P, help me, like that's, it's such a cool thing that that works that I can't believe no one had thought of that before. Yeah, I know. Isn't that, that weird? That, like, I, uh, I, I would like to like to understand the process that she goes through yeah because i feel like her her much like jay farrar in season one like there's a lot of craftsmanship that yeah that goes into the into the the words her lyrics are clearly like you can tell a lot of work went into that stuff one other note i had in um so i i do really like at about two minutes 20 seconds there's a big uh you know guitar part punching in and this is Another example of this thing she likes to do that, like, I thought was a late thing, but I keep finding examples of it early on where, you know, it's this really, like, super saturated guitar sound that, you know, sounds more like an effect than than a guitar. And it's not mixed down into the backing track. It's, like, sitting on top of it. Um, I just, I, I've always really liked it when she does that. And it... Uh, it made me think today, I, this had never occurred to me before, um, it seems like something Robert Fripp would do. Hmm. And I I feel like I'm still kind of figuring out how I feel about Robert Fripp in general <laughs> as a as a phenomenon. <laughs> what, I, what are your current leanings? 
I so I used to just hate him. I like really, really hated him. Um, and I'm coming around to thinking like, yeah, I think Robert Fripp is, you know, like I don't always love. I'm never gonna sit down and be like, yeah, King Crimson, it's time. But uh, I, I think he's like, I think he's a force for good on the electric guitar. I guess. You know, I I just I started realizing like. You, if you record the guitar part for Heroes, you probably get a lifetime pass anyway. Um, and I just, I was reading about like this guitar school he or clinic that he conducted for a while, where he would just like make people do these weird exercises. I, I don't even remember. It was this isn't it, but it was things like use your guitar to cook breakfast, or uh, you know, just weird unconventional shit to get people to think about it in ways of other than like, this is this thing that you play blues solos on. And like, I like that. Let's have more of that. Yeah. Um, you know, and I feel like that's kind of the the zone that Clark operates in a lot of time. Like she just does unconventional weird shit with her guitar. The, uh, the thing that always impresses me and it really impressed me when you, see her live at least the way we saw her i don't think she always performs like this but it was just her yeah. and her and her guitar and then like the backing track yeah and it just it takes a lot of moxie to do that yeah i think we i think we talked about that before that's yeah. just that's the bravest thing like there's just there's you can't hide behind anyone else if you fuck up you can't even like look over at the bass player and make a face and be like oh we're in this together we fucked up I don't know. It's it's gutsy. It's like doing stand up in like a arena or something. Yeah. Like you're just out there. And and not only that, she's doing all that in like ridiculously high heels. Yeah. Usually doing some kind of choreography. I, I don't know. It was inhuman. Yeah. So like, I feel like this song. You know, I, I'm kind of restating what you said earlier, but I just this it like starts out sounding like a movie again, and then by the end. I guess you said you thought it sounded kind of dancey. I think it sounds like this big intricate clockwork machine that's made out of riffs, you know, that just all like fit together perfectly. And I don't know. Maybe that's how you dance. That is exactly. I'm very much a sprockets fan. Sophisticated dance robot. (laughs) Very nice. I, uh, so did you check out the video for this one? I did not. It uh, it's not like not one of the great videos, but it's kind of interesting. It looks, it it looks like a. Uh, it starts out looking like a. So it's super widescreen, and it looks like a, like like a Roger Deakins, Coen Brothers movie. You know, just like big horizon. She's walking through the country, and then it just gets like steadily weirder. Um, I don't know. It's not like earth shaking but it it's just, what's interesting to me is like if this album is supposed to be so film derived like that video more than any of the other videos that I've seen for this album like this one just looks like a movie it uh yeah maybe she watched like the holy mountain or something <laughs> maybe like honestly that would be so truth in advertising, I've never actually seen the Holy Mountain, just clips from it. That's same, and that's all I want to see. But it appears to be just like a movie where just increasingly weirder shit happens. Which is, you know, like 
I think that sounds like the film equivalent of several St. Vincent songs. Yeah. Uh, I just, you know, like uh, just based on the scenes that I've seen, I don't, I don't think I would enjoy sitting through that. I, that seems like the kind of thing that you don't experience in a straight mind, you know, like, you got to have something in your bloodstream for probably I think that movie to make sense. I mean, it's not like death car on the freeway, which just works universally. <laughs> works on so many levels, man. Do you have a favorite like bad movie? Well, I mean, yeah, but the boundaries are so, you know, like we've digressed on the show like five or six times already into the Lynch Dune. And like, I'm at this point where I don't know that there's a difference between liking it ironically and genuinely liking it. I just, I enjoy it knowing it's bad, but it's also awesome. Yeah, fair um, enough. That's, but I mean, like, I, I, I've kind of trained myself, I, not intentionally, not like, oh, I sat down, but like, like, I enjoy watching The Room, you know, like, it's shit, but it's somehow shit that's fun. Yeah, it's it's almost like a, that movie is almost so bad that you spend a lot of time trying to piece together how it could be that bad. Yeah, and to me, there's there's some value there. Yeah, like, that's it's an interesting thought experiment. Yeah. What what would you say is your favorite bad movie? Well, I like to say Death Car on the Freeway, but it's not. It's a terrible movie. It's it's almost unwatchable. <laughs> the hell you say? Uh, I don't know what I would say. I mean, I've always liked the Warriors. But I like. I don't think The Warriors is a bad movie. I think The Warriors is a great movie. Great might be aggressive. It's a great movie. It's it's a movie that that assumes <laughs> that there are subsets of very specific gangs occupying North City, hey. New York City, one of which is on roller skates. How, how are who are you to say there isn't? <laughs> I I think. I think The Warriors is legit great cinema. <laughs> great cinema. Great. Fair enough. I don't know what else to say. I'm speechless. <laughs> let's, let's end this segment there. Okay, we are back. Uh, song to The Bed. So I, I feel like to kind of pick up where we were, uh, this this isn't fair to this song, but the uh, the title just makes me think of Pat Oswalt's bit about the movie Deathbed, the bed who eats people. <laughs> it's got a classic era, Pat Oswalt. Uh, yeah, I, that was kind of like his his golden age. Um, so, like, like you know, it's not the song's fault, but like that's just what I think of. So that's actually a more rational thought than I had when I listened to it, because for whatever reason, when the song has uh, like eyes and whites, all I can think about is that Johnny Horton song, "The Battle of New Orleans." Great fucking song. But yeah, like that's not what this song's about. <laughs> I, you know, like so, like so, always speculating, like. Does Clark know about this person? Does Clark know? I, I wonder what her stance on Johnny Horton is. What, does anybody not like Johnny Horton? I, if they don't, I don't want to meet him. I mean, I feel like that's 
It's kind of table stakes. That that should be. It's like not like in C.W. McCall. <laughs> Another proud son of Omaha. Or yeah, radio or advertising agency guy, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Omaha music's just going to be the, the secret it's theme tonight. Glorious. So one thing, like trying to engage with the bed in good faith, um, you know. So it's got another like melodic opening. I thought that there's a bit of this song, especially the first thirty seconds, that sounds like the melody is a lot like the Stones' uh, "Moonlight Mile." Oh, and like like that one, she had you know. She has to know that song, and she has to have caught the resemblance. And, um, you know, so I don't know if that's, like, a tribute, uh, just a, oh, well, it kind of sounds the same, I'll roll with it. But, like, it to me, like, that's just screaming out. that it, it's Yeah, I had not picked that thing. up, but that, that is a good, that's a good catch. That's to bring a- it back to the Flaming Lip show at the Myth, that's what they closed with was a cover of Moonlight Mile. Oh, shit. That would have been something to see. Yeah. It was like, and I think I've told you this before, but it's really cool. They handed out little laser pointers to everybody. And yeah. uh, Wayne Coyne got up there with a big, like, full-length mirror and deflected <laughs> all the laser beams. That is so And rad. sang Moonlight Mile. Man, to... Uh... To spoil my uh, spoil my ending summation for this song, I I honestly the main thing I get out of this song is that I would love to hear her cover Moonlight Mile like that. Uh, yeah, I think that would be a really cool cover. Yeah, some of the imagery in the song is pretty grim. I like rhyming Smith and Wesson. <laughs> yeah. Don't move! Don't scream! Or we'll have to shoot. What do you think this is about? What do you think it adds up to? I don't know. I mean, I, th- I my hope is that it's it, it's just sort of like a like talking about fear, like yeah. you know, like just sort of a a metaphor for being afraid. I think that's pretty. That makes sense. That's pretty solid. Um, what do you think it's about? I have no idea. I um, I I just I didn't. I couldn't really get a hold on this one except to just listen to it for production stuff. And so all of my notes are sound stuff. Um, I just, there's no, I don't know. There, there's no emotional connection to me for this. Um, it's it's so just mannered and bloodless that it's hard for me to even think about like, what is she saying? What's going on here? Um, and I feel bad about that, but you know, I, I, I there's just some stuff of hers, like, like the stuff of hers that resonates with me, which is most of it, really resonates. Um, and then occasionally there's songs like this, and I'm just like, yeah, I don't know. I um, I was really struck, like the guitar parts on this are a lot of like harmonics where you just, you know, whack the string at a certain point well, with your finger on a different point. And I don't know anyone else who does that as much as she does to build a song, and so that's kind of cool. I like that in the last minute or so, someone in her string section is like scraping the bow of the violin on the strings of a violin to make it sound like a horror movie. And that's kind of cool. But overall, I just, I feel like in a lot, you know, if you saw, if you were seeing her live and she did this song, this is the one where you'd go get a drink or go to the bathroom. I think that's what I would do. (laughs) I don't want to. 
don't want to like dictate what everyone else would do. It's uh, it, it's kind of like when uh, I I was at an Eels show one time, and and uh, the lead singer's like, "All right, we got three major bummer tracks in a row here. So if you uh, <laughs> if you need to get a beer or something, go ahead and do that." So maybe that's what she's doing. She's providing yeah. you a break in the. <laughs> it's more of the film metaphor. This is the intermission. No, I mean, like, I don't know. I, I feel like a dick. Like, you know, this is a musician that I respect a lot. And I am sure that she put work into this that I'm not acknowledging. And, you know, I'm sure it means something to her that I'm not picking up. And I feel bad about that. But yeah, I don't know. it would be weirder to me if, if, if everything resonated with you perfectly. That's true. That's true. Like, I think part of what it, what makes art, any kind of art interesting is that some of it resonates and some of it doesn't. That, that has like, that's always amazed me how like there are, you know, just with almost all the musicians I love, there'll be songs that like line up perfectly. And then, you know, on the same album, just shit that doesn't like, I, you know, at the peak tippity peak, you know, purest super fan I've ever been of anybody um, was like Summer Teeth era Wilco. And like, I thought that album was just about perfect, except, you know, towards the end, there are maybe two or three tracks that I thought were dog shit. <laughs> and I could not understand how like, you know, the creative force that had made the nine perfect tracks also made the three dog shit tracks. And we're like, well, yeah, here we. Yeah, I mean, I guess the rub is that maybe everybody, everyone has three dog shit tracks, but they're three different dog shit tracks yeah. from different people. I just, I, I mean, to me, that ends up being fascinating. Like this fascinating proof that taste is subjective. Uh, you know, like even the taste of the person who makes the art you love, like, their own subjective taste is dialed so much differently than yours that they're going to produce stuff that you do not like that they think like, yeah, this is great. So by extension, there's someone whose favorite Monet painting is that dead pheasant one that they have <laughs> at the MIA. I, you know, I will go to bat for that. So I've got this whole thing about that painting that like, it's kind of cool to see non-typical you know like to see art from people where you expect one thing and they do something else and you're like oh what and that's I always know, man cool. i feel like i feel like that's the that's the spinal tap uh <laughs> like freeform jazz explosion yeah i mean like if that was the only thing he'd ever painted i don't know that we'd be like oh well I... but i don't know i guess I, I don't know my my theory is everyone's got a dog playing poker that that's his it's just if you're monet that gets hung in a museum <laughs> you know my i should maybe i should do this for the newsletter i deeply deeply want to trace the art historical roots of the dogs playing poker painting i, I think that would be fascinating like i mean like for real that thing has so much cultural presence yeah, and I mean, somebody's like, you know what this world needs? This is what I'm going to bring to it, <laughs> is a painting of dogs playing poker. And the thing is, like, everybody knows that painting. I know. I right? could, you know, I have no idea who painted it, but, like, everybody I know knows that painting. Yeah, it's like that and the Mona Lisa and Whistler's mother. <laughs> Man, dogs playing poker. It speaks to us all. Friend in need. <laughs> a 
friend in need. All right. <laughs> Google, Pilly, art is my middle name. <laughs> Someday you'll learn about dogs playing poker. So, so this is, I'm going to just preface this by saying this is not in Keith's newsletter, but <laughs> it, it would be funny if you did a different newsletter that was just the sole purpose was just to like justify the existence of Thomas Kincaid. You know what? I could do just like a series of puff pieces about <laughs> how this, this man and his mall galleries brought art to the masses. Okay. He sucks pretty hard. Um, I could see like hyping myself into doing like a devil's advocate kind of thing. There's one thing Thomas Kincaid did that I really respect. Start putting those like brass labels on paintings. <laughs> no. Um, I, so I, I hope I've got this story right. He, in his head, I think developed some kind of like rivalry with Walt Disney, <laughs> you know, over who's like the great American artist. And, I believe he – so I, I I probably don't have the detail exactly, exactly right here because I, I didn't think this was a thing to research. But he did something with like pissing on a statue of Walt Disney and yelling like how much better he was. Or I, I can't remember if it was on a statue of Walt Disney or in a fountain at Disney World. But he definitely dissed Walt Disney with urine and – you know, like, I respect that. I don't know. If you're pissing on a statue that somebody has put up of someone else, have you really won? <laughs> I think, yeah. It, you know, you've at least struck a blow. <laughs> uh, statue pissing is is a move worthy of respect. It's like me not liking Mark Zuckerberg and, like, you know, like, I'm going to burn a Facebook polo, which is going to have no effect on him whatsoever. True, but but you cannot tell me that if you had the chance to piss on a statue of Mark Zuckerberg that you wouldn't feel great right afterwards. Maybe. Is the statue, like, in his backyard? <laughs> that would be better. Like, maybe, like, you know, like, if I could pee in his pool or something, I feel like that would be a... That would give me some, like, moral superiority. That, that's, like, it's like a level three move. Right. Statue pissing is just level one. I'm just trying to find something positive about Thomas Kincaid. <laughs> and, and I didn't prep you for that, so I, that that's well played. Fair enough. Oh, do we have anything else on the bed? I I don't think so. I don't think I do either. No. It's, you know, nobody bats a thousand. <laughs> we'll be back. party let's party for the party did i tell you that i in undergrad i played one show with kind of a pickup band that was called studley party tonight <sighs> no i didn't no idea yes that, uh, who, who else was in this super group um uh dale plagic uh, okay. yeah. uh you know, owner of uh, bikini bistro yes bhs yes uh, you know, drummer for like another actual band that I was in. And then um, a couple of guys named Corey Spanier and Oscar Prill. Ooh. Um, Spanier and, and Prill. Spanier and Prill. That sounds like a like a law firm. Or, or buddy detective. Yeah. I've uh, so I've actually like I've 
hung out a couple of times lately with one of those guys, um, you know, and we actually played instrument. You know, we got together and like jammed. So like, there's an outside chance that if we were to ever put a full band together and play a show, Studley Party tonight could ride again. That's the dream. <laughs> this would be fun posters to make. Have you ever thought of like uh, of like just doing a compilation of bands that you've been in? Like, like a you know, just like just little snippets of uh, like an art project of like this is what I remember from my time in Hungry Horse. That you know that that could be a, a fun writing project. Yeah. That, I mean, a lot of stupid names, <laughs> nothing else. Oh, um, dropping the Studley and tonight, and just getting back to the party. The party. I so for me, I feel like the opening of this is like. You know how in the 80s there was like the wave of generic stuff where there'd be like, you know, a white can that just had black stencil lettering on it that said beer? Yeah. This is like a white disc that has black lettering that just says early St. Vincent song. Like, kind of generic. I kind of, I like thought it would be a good like uh, alternate soundtrack to that Netflix show Russian Doll. Oh, yeah. I can see that. Um I mean the the it's it's really catchy the current theme song but yeah. like I kind of got that vibe from it that it's like this kind of reflective trying to figure out what's happening type of yeah. type of song. I totally agree. I think this one did have one of the uh grabbiest lines on the album so far, I think. The thing about I lick the ice cube from your empty glass, like every time I listen to it that line just hooks into my brain. Um yeah, that's that, that's kind of an interesting piece of imagery. Mm -hmm. More of that wordsmithing. I also like my pockets hang out like two surrender flags. Yeah, that's that's excellent. Sonically, like this one is kind of unusual. Like she usually fills up just all of the sonic space in a song, especially early on. This one is really clean and open, and you know, there's not that much going on, and everything is kind of separated, and it's like weirdly piano driven. So, I kind of appreciate that as as just different and unusual, at least. Yeah, do you think she writes on a piano? I think she must. I mean, like, I, I don't. I guess I think she must be capable of it, and you know, do it some. I so this isn't a thing I've thought about with her very much, but I know. Um, a writer that I really like, Chris O'Leary, you know, who, who's done just like written a ton of shit that I love about Bowie. Like one of his things that after he pointed it out, I could really see that like with Bowie, there's this step, you know, maybe three albums in three or four albums where you can tell that he's learned to write songs on a piano too, because suddenly like the range of chords that he would put together are completely different you know like he suddenly is just able to put songs together that, that you can't do with just a guitar you know just like the physical limitations of the instrument lead you to you know kind of hang out in different zones and yeah i mean clark like you know the whole thing with being annie clark is she's this instrumental virtuoso so i assume she came out you know came out of the gate fluent in piano and guitar and violin, right? I think, yeah. Yeah. God knows what uh, recorder, castanets. 
You think there's any? You think there's like a recognized like world's greatest recorder player? <laughs> I don't know. Like, like who's the Zamfir yeah. recorder? I is there anyone on the planet who makes a living playing the recorder? Right? Yeah. Like uh, you know, like you're, we're in the London Philharmonic. Oh my God! Let's you know, bring up. Let's bring up our first chair recorder player. I think we own. So we have this box of like weird DVDs from when my wife um, used to work for the state film board, and she would just get, you know, like you a place like that you come to own weird DVDs, um, and one of them was some documentary about some like itinerant recorder player in LA yes who just like you know <laughs> had this fucking bandolier of different sized recorders it's like the John Popper of uh, <laughs> exactly. recorder he would like go around Venice Beach playing you know playing different recorders for people we could watch this I, I'm sure the DVD is in my basement sounds almost as good as the dancing outlaw Jessica White <laughs> Oh, getting back into this song, I, uh, I, so you can cut this if you want, but I I do enjoy that, like, Keith has to keep me on track and be like, (laughs) okay, let's, getting back to the song, which is what the podcast is about. Hey, that, uh, that's, that, that's our morning zoo energy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I just, so I've got this note. Just uh, this is kind of something we talked about before, you know, in the last song. But like, this is another song that really exemplifies this gap between like the stuff she does that is one hundred percent on my wavelength, and then the stuff that just doesn't register. And this one doesn't register. You know, it's back to back, kind of bloodless. It's kind of. I if I can string together a bunch of crackpot theories, I feel like, you know, earlier when I was comparing her to the Flaming Lips and I was talking about how they do weird shit but do it in this kind of anarchic, like, we don't know what, where the fuck this is going, we're just going to... Um, I feel like that gives things an energy and songs like this where there's so much going on and most of it is her multi-tracking... You know, like the amount of thought and planning and care that you need to do to make that work and not be a mess can just sometimes rob these songs of energy. And I think that's kind of what's going on here. Yeah, sometimes it can be maybe a little overworked, too. Yeah. I mean, like that's maybe that's, you know, Prince is another guy who would like record everything on his own and. You know, and and it would be amazing. And may, maybe that's part of the genius of Prince is that he was able to do that and keep it energetic. Um, and I mean, I, I don't, you know, I'm not trying to shit on Annie Clark. Like it's not, uh, there's no shame in not being able to do something that Prince could do. But uh, Yeah, and plus it's two songs out of her entire yeah, catalog, right? Yeah, it's not, totally. Two early songs. Even. It's not like, uh, I'm sure there are plenty of artists that, like the me not connecting with it is uh, is more the regular. Yeah, totally. I, uh, you know, I, I guess a couple more negative things I hate to say. Man, Debbie um, Downer. I know. 
you know, it goes into this big slow down and then build about three minutes in that is like, usually when people do big changes, I'm like, yeah, dynamics. And for this, it just sounds so like I'm planning this. I'm, uh, you know, it's like when people write screenplays based on books that tell you that the inciting incident has to happen three minutes and 30 seconds in. And, you know, you know, like it just, it feels plotted in a way that doesn't work. Then I feel like this song just kind of ends with a whimper. It just kind of trails out. and So basically what you're saying is Annie Clark is the Dan Brown of music. <laughs> that is not what I'm saying. But there's there's a hint of Dan Brown in this song, maybe. Maybe. I uh, So I, my next note actually is a, a different name. I know I would, did want to compare it to. Uh, way more positive. Do you know who Maria Schneider is? I do not. She's this uh, jazz composer. She's like this weird, like avant-garde big band composer. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's interesting. She was connected to the U of M for a while, so okay. she's got some Minnesota connections. And her thing is like, she writes big band jazz, but like weird big band jazz. And it's like I would not be surprised at all to find out that. Clark was a fan of hers because like it does, it has a lot of the same like orchestrated and then it goes into weirdness and the time signatures get weird, but it all comes together. And I mean, like, like once I thought like, Hey, that's kind of the same thing. Like they really do sound, you know, like a lot of Schneider's songs sound kind of like St. Vincent executed by a big band. And Schneider was kind of the guiding figure when Bowie did Black Star, um, that album started with him working with Schneider on uh, the song Sue. Mm. That that was originally there's like an earlier version of Sue from you know before the Black Star sessions. That's just Bowie and Schneider working together. So. I feel like Black Star is the like ultimate like drop the mic on your career. Ah, fuck that! Like that's that is just astonishing. Like, oh yeah, I've got a jazz album in me. Boom. Yeah. Done. Yeah. But, uh, no, and and yeah, I mean, like another thing coming out of that, like that album was what led me to check out Maria Schneider. It also, you know, the Donnie McCaslin group that like is the backup band there, like they're pretty good too. But, uh, you know, I mean, we've we've always talked about how like music can be this series of doors where you listen yeah. to this and then it leads you to that and leads you to that. And I mean, it, it often is, at least for me. Yeah, it's, same. Uh, that's how I ended up. So I ended up hearing about Smell Yo Dick. <laughs> it all comes back to Smell Yo Dick. <laughs> the greatest song. This is this is why I should never like try to bait you with these Spotify playlists <laughs> because it it always ends up in this nuclear... This, this like you know like arms race where one of us goes nuclear that's you know like i don't know sometimes it's like international relations every every, you know, every so often you just gotta have a big yeah you blow it, it all out gotta take down to the studs <laughs> rebuild <sighs> all right well I feel like this probably this is probably all I have to say about the party. Yeah, I, it, I don't feel like I really talked about it, but no, it's it, you know, I mean, it, it it really does come back to what we were saying last song. Like, 
they're not always going to work. And I think, I guess, so here is... It's 50 floors of fright. They're not all going to be gold. <laughs> exactly. I think, like... It, so stepping back a little bit, I think it does make sense that like actor is like this transitional album where, you know, she is starting to put together the pieces that like make her the artist that is currently so fucking rad. Um, but she can't do it all the time. And so like this album is this weird mix of like really, really good songs that are as good as what she's doing now. And then stuff that just sounds like, you know, more of marry me just, kind of trying to figure it out and there's maybe something interesting, but it does, you know, like, like that's, it's transitional. It's, yeah. it's like, like a lot of bands have these albums where they're like starting to put it together and don't, it's not all there, but there's enough there that it's worth checking out. Yeah. I felt that way about like the Iron Maiden albums, 14 <laughs> through 27, it's like transitional. It was a long adolescence. I mean, like, you know, so like, Hey guys, let's try one without the uh, skeleton, maybe. <laughs> what do you say? He's a ghoul, not a skeleton. Is he, is he a ghoul? I think so. Eddie says yes. Yeah. I I don't know if that's like a universally recognized thing, but I know I've had an Iron Maiden fan tell me like he's not a skeleton, he's a ghoul. I'm impressed that you know an Iron Maiden fan. <laughs> Damn right I do. Oh, I think I know two. <laughs> That, that's that's a hundred percent more than you thought. It's a lot more than I thought. <laughs> oh. It's like you got to hear this track. They they recorded this album because I mean Iron Maiden's been a band for they're like the Rolling Stones of yeah. I, I think they've been recording at least as long as I've been able to read. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's a long time. Oh, um, right. Well, we should probably end before before I digress into some <laughs> other rabbit hole. Hey, you, you got us out of the smell you a dick, yeah. You know, mud pit. There's there's that. Um. All right. Well, thank you for uh, listening. Um. <laughs> please keep listening. I I am Keith. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Keith Pilly, and I'm Chad Cook, and you can find me uh, on Twitter at Cook six two five two. And as always, we really, really would love to hear from you. If there's anything about the show that you have an opinion about, um, you like, you don't like, we missed something. Yeah, I, I, I'm sure there are 30 corrections waiting to be corrected on stuff I've said tonight. Um, if you dug the show, please tell people about it or go to iTunes or Google Play or wherever and leave a review. And uh, thanks. Talk to you again, hopefully much sooner this time. And uh, next time around, we'll be closing out Actor, and it's just going to get better as we go. Yeah, the albums definitely get better. Yes, climbing up.